Hello, and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 164. John and Wendy talk to Amanda and Simon Cookson. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you today, John? Wendy, I am well, and we figured we're bringing in our friends from the United <laughs> Kingdom. We're doing like a super-sized episode, yes. two Cooksons for the price of one. Exactly. I love it. I love I love when we can get tag team. I love having two people on. It just it makes for a very fun conversation. We're really looking forward to it. And Wendy, one of the things I wanted to mention, though, before we get started, I've been talking to our friends over at the Human Times and want to recommend, if you are not following them, either in the U.S. or the U.K., do so. We're going to include a link in the show notes to subscribe. Human Times is basically pulling together all types of of news stories about the HR space. You name it, they're probably pulling it. It comes out daily. Had some great conversations with them over the last little bit and want to recommend, particularly for, in fact, I just saw this lately, and I think it was one of our chat questions lately, Wendy, was what resources are you using to get your HR information Check out the Human Times. Check them out because the best part, it's free. How can love you get better than that? Free. We, we love free. And, and not only is it free, but it's worthwhile. Yes. Yes. You know, free doesn't owe it. You know, cost That's doesn't true. necessarily mean it's worthwhile. But in this case, definitely worth your time, worth checking out. I remember my first real serious tuba teacher used to talk about separating wheat and chaff when it came yeah. to playing. Like, now, you know, I'm 18 and I really, I mean, I knew what wheat was. I didn't really understand wheat and chaff. <laughs> it's the great thing. Human times is separating yeah. that wheat and chaff. So you're getting the wheat, the good stuff yep. to go make a loaf of bread or whatever you do with wheat. I don't know. Cream of wheat, something like Ew. that. Ew. Whatever works for you, Wendy. I don't know. I don't know. You know, again, as we mentioned, we are really excited. Call it a double size or super size episode. Yes. Having two guests. And again, if we're going to bring folks in and pulling the curtain back, these UK based conversations have been great because for us, we're recording on Saturday morning. Yep. So it's always a little different. The energy is great, <laughs> though. And we're really excited to have Amanda and Simon with us. Yes. Let's make the introduction and get started. So excited to welcome Amanda and Simon. Amanda has always been drawn to rebellious ideas and their potential to change the world. Following years of senior roles building award-winning teams, she realized that her approach and ideas were often at odds with conventional management thinking. Treating people like resources, controlling them through bureaucracy didn't feel right, and she knew there were better ways. After her organization went through a merger, she began her exploration into coaching and human leadership. She was fascinated by how her experiences had impacted her, which led to the study of the neuroscience of conversations and how our brains react in the workplace. This deep work allowed her to do what she loves today, making businesses better by making them more human. So Simon, um, for the past 20 years, has been involved in digital startups, technical consultancies, and big IT firms, all trying to bring about change with technology. He realized that most projects failed, or at least failed to deliver what they promised, and wanted to know why. This investigation led to the founding of the Northern Value Creators four years ago and shapes everything they do and believe today. So Amanda and Simon, we are so excited because this is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm just excited about this, especially on a Saturday morning. We start every conversation the same way with what is in your glass. Oh, well, today I have, in fact, not a glass, but a plastic, uh, it's bamboo actually, container, and it's decaffeinated coffee. I love coffee. If I drink too much, I never sleep. So that is what's <laughs> in my beaker. <laughs> yeah, and same for me. We And we've switched, actually. We're such, uh, we love coffee so much 
we're having a new experiment, aren't we? We've taken, um, we've got a coffee machine downstairs and we have stopped buying caffeinated beans and we are buying decaffeinated beans so we can have coffee whenever we like. Oh. But you've got a little jar of instant caffeinated, haven't you? <laughs> that little caffeine hit. Yes, because I am grumpy wumpy if I don't have caffeine first thing in the morning. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm kind of the same way. I have I can do my coffee caffeine till about noonish. I haven't made the switch over to doing um, decaf yet. I'm like, I, I need more water. So I'm trying to like cut out the coffee altogether afternoon. Uh, I like the idea of getting some decaffeinated beans. I might have to do that. How does one decaffeinate beans? <laughs> oh. I, I think it's the uh, the coffee fairies. <laughs> hey, I'll believe it, Simon. I don't have a, like I don't drink coffee at all. So I'm just fascinated. How do you decaffeinate beans? Wow, uh, it's there's some it's some water based process. I'm sure we'll get lots of people saying no, it's not. It's this, that, and the other. Um, oh, I'm and, going with coffee fairies. Just for oh, yeah, 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 let's go with coffee fairies. It's the caffeine fairies. Maybe it's the caffeine, caffeine fairies. fairies. Come and take it. I don't think I'd want to meet a caffeine fairy. A little too much. A little too much. I'm so appreciative of you joining us. And typically, we always like to start about how somebody kind of gets started on their path. First, we'll start with you, Amanda. How did you get on this path of leadership and coaching development? How did that get started for you? I worked for an organization for 15 years. I was in charge of customer experience. And when the company merged, the department I ran was closed I found myself, or my role rather, redundant. And I really, 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 really wanted to be one of those people that says, do you know what? When I was made redundant, it was the start of a new chapter for me. And it was the best thing that ever happened. I so wanted to be that person. And I was one of those awful people that would uh, turn up for interviews and then think, no, actually, thanks. I don't want the job. Um, (laughs) And whilst I was finding my feet, I was being coached by someone and she was asking me, you know, what did you love about what you did? You know, if you don't want to go back into corporate and do what you were doing. And it was having those kind of one-to-one meetings, those kind of line manager conversations and seeing people develop and grow. And as she was coaching me, she was kind of saying, I think what you're describing is coaching. And so um, (laughs) I did some training and some work and I actually feel I found my calling. I love it. I don't think I've done a day's work since I started because it's such a joy to me and also what I'm finding is that all the experiences I had when I worked in organizations that didn't value humans I'm able to then bring into my coaching conversations and into leadership development so the start was that I think determination that not having a job was going to be a new chapter and a new world and then Simon how about you it's a slightly similar story in the sense that it uh, the the switch was triggered by redundancy, but this came about very differently. And it was an organisation that, on paper, had everything. We had um, the right kind of people. We had the right opportunities. We were in the right place at the right time. We had all the funding that was necessary, but. That very successful organization that, as I say, on paper had everything, just collapsed in on itself in about two years. Um, and it, they were two really, really hard and sometimes quite horrible years to be there. And when the whole thing imploded, um, I just wanted to spend some time trying to think, why did that happen? 
you know, what was it that made that such a terrible experience and all of that potential and all of that opportunity for success just seemed to vanish almost overnight. Um, so that was the start of the process for me. We did talk a little bit in your bios about going right into Northern Value Creators. Simon, talk a little bit about the process of, of launching this, this venture. Well, it's we started not with a completely clear plan or a clear vision. That's something that's emerged, that began to emerge probably six months in, and I must say is still emerging now, you know, with that classic sort of continue to evolve and continue to develop sort of story. And we started out, we just set up a company more for convenience than anything else, you know, because Amanda was going to do her coaching. I was going to do um, work around sales and account management because that was my my background where I spent sort of many years. I was going to do some sort of consultancy contract work in that space. And in the process of talking to the designers that were helping us develop a brand, they really got us to open our eyes to the fact that we weren't two separate businesses. It wasn't just, you know, a convenient legal structure for us to do one set of accounts. We were two parts of one story. And that story is something that has developed into what we talk about today, which is human leadership and the human workplace. I have to ask, what is it like working with your spouse? A lot of people used to think Wendy and I were married and <laughs> couple, which is always hysterical, right? Because we do this together. Very different, though, than the two of you being together and bringing your backgrounds together like that. You know, Amanda, what was that like? What is it like? You know, particularly we may have people that are considering, well, could I work with my spouse? How does that work for you all? I love that you've asked that question because Simon and I met when we were doing a master's. And quite often when you come out with a kind of, it was MBA for the arts and it, a lot of people set up businesses together. And Simon was always, I'm never, ever ever going to work with you, Amanda, because Simon is very kind of ideas focused. You're quite laid back. You're a starter of things. And I'm sort of very structured. I make lists of lists. And, you know, we, we're very different personalities. But actually, it works brilliantly because the difference that we thought would great actually complements. And we do a lot of thinking walks and co-creative work that, it's just brilliant being together and being a couple because we've got that time to talk and think and create. And part of, because um, it was interesting, I was listening to you talking about why we set up the business. The other reason why we set it up was because we um, are adoptive parents. We got our family quite late in life. We want to make sure that we spend time with family as well as with work. And actually, it's incredibly hard to be an employee for someone else and get that flexibility and time and live the life you want, as well as do worthwhile things. So for me, it works perfectly, but I'll see what Mr. Cookson says. <laughs> I would completely agree, obviously, um, <laughs> with, 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 with all of that. I think, yeah, Amanda there was talking about something that's become increasingly important to us. I think we always knew it was important, but we couldn't, we didn't have quite the right language or couldn't quite talk about what we wanted. And that was this work-life balance that a lot of people talk about, about getting a balance between work and life. 
where, in fact, the direction that we've gone in is to see that as a false choice and see not a choice between when do you work and when do you have a life, but actually just see it as life. You know, and this this kind of idea runs through a bit of a golden thread through a lot of what we talk about. You know, this whole idea of being more of your whole self at work, dropping the kind of various masks or suits of armour that traditionally that you are felt you have to adopt while you're at work. You know, that separating, leave your emotions and leave your true self at the door adopt your professional persona etc etc and that whole kind of work-life balance split kind of fits into that and what you know kind of the journey that we're on and the experiment that we're still doing and you know we get it wrong a lot and just as much as we get it right is all about life rather than work and life speaking of work a lot of the work that you all do is focused in the tech industry And, you know, we talk to people across sectors and across industries. Everybody has their unique challenges. I'm curious, particularly when it comes to tech, what unique challenges are you seeing when it comes to leadership in those spaces? And Amanda, we'll start with you. But what or are there differences in terms of what they face as opposed to other other industries? I think I think there are some very specific differences. So one of them is that. People who are successful in tech tend to be technical specialists. So they're great at doing tasks. So that might be about programming and coding. It might be about UX, design experiences, but they have very specific skills. And so then as you want to get promoted and move up and get paid more, you need to manage people. But you have a high number of individuals who are very specialist at doing who then need to start leading and managing people. So what we found and why this sector is great for us is that I work a lot with neuroscience. So I give technical specialists a technical understanding of how to work with humans and how to get the best out of humans. And with that understanding, they make exceptional managers and leaders. But quite often in the tech industry, they will write people off and say, well, this person, you know, They should stay in the basement and never be near another human. We'll just let them code. Um, And that frustrates me because actually it's about giving people a way into understanding how to work best with others. And I think the other thing about the industry is that there is a much higher percentage of people who are not neurotypical. um, And that will increase the level of kind of depression, anxiety and other things going on there. So there's a lot of things that make working with humans and bringing out the best of your human a real challenge which is why we're very passionate about human leadership and use that as a way to change the way that it feels for people at work. Simon let me expand on that a little bit when you're focused on really the specific challenges that tech sector sees how has COVID played into that? Are you working with a lot of businesses that are remote structured already or these people that literally just take your laptop and your monitor and go away for the last year. What kind of challenges have you all seen when it comes to COVID and and leadership in that space? A lot of our clients and the the people within our network, the transition, you know, so roughly this just over a year ago now, the transition to fully remote was technically and operationally pretty easy. 
for most of the people that we work with. It wasn't a big shift. There wasn't a lot of head scratching. There wasn't a lot of requirement for big investment or upskilling in platforms and technology because it was all there already. But that hides some of the deeper problems that have really come to the fore over the last 12 months within the tech sector. Um, Because really, when you think of the tech sector, particularly the people that we deal with a lot of, and that is, you know, small to medium-sized organisations, so up to up to a couple of hundred people, a few million turnover per year, that, that kind of size. And those organisations are incredibly fast-paced. They're quite new organisations. They were probably only founded, you know, no more than five years ago. So they're facing lots of new challenges, challenges of growth, challenges of success. And what that needs is more than technology. What that actually needs, success in that highly disruptive, high pace of change space, is people talking to each other, collaborating with each other in those high trust, psychologically safe spaces. And that has been harder than I think anyone expected over the last 12 months. I'd say, though, to add into that, that the the other thing around this remote working is that quite often the people that you need within the tech sector have very specific skills. So by enabling your workforce to be working anywhere, it's giving you greater access to that skills base. So um, our kind of nearest city is Sheffield, and they've been doing quite a lot of thinking around tech skills shortage because in the kind of local city area there are a lot of tech companies that are growing and blooming but there isn't enough technical skills there so working remotely means that you've got access potentially to a global workforce but what we're finding with some of the organizations that we're working with and supporting is this sense that we need to bring people back in we need to build that culture and those conversations again by having people physically is actually very upsetting because for a lot of people They've really enjoyed working from home. They've really enjoyed not having to commute, not having to waste their money on kind of crappy sandwiches and overpriced coffee. And they don't want to get back in the office. So I think there's going to be some real winners and losers as organisations navigate their way through. How are we going to work now? Because people are loving the autonomy and the choice and the freedom. I, I think you bring up a really good point because where I am, we have once again, extremely low unemployment. And we have a lot of open positions that we can't fill. And so if we look at what work do we have that can be truly done remote, you know, IT, you know, there's a lot of positions that can be, let's do that. Let's reach out to some of those small towns where people want to stay, but maybe they can't because there's no work. So let's take the work to them. We're doing a lot of work in that area and it's just, it's fascinating to me, but we do still see that, no, we need to be in the office. We need that camaraderie. We need we need some of that. And, you know, there's there's ways around it. It's going to be exciting to see where, where we end up. You know, connecting with people is something that John and I like to do. And um, we, I don't remember the last time we talked with someone who had a Twitter chat like we do. Talk to us about Human Leaders Chat. How did it get started? What do you talk about? When is it? So uh, our listeners can join. And then what's been the biggest surprise from running the chat? Simon, we'll let you uh, start this answer. Okay, it happens on a Thursday at 1pm UK time. 
So that's uh, Thursday, just uh, at the the end of uh, lunchtime. And uh, you follow the hashtag human leaders. That's how you can join in. And what we tend to do is pose a series of questions um, over the the course of roughly roughly an hour. Uh, Sometimes it uh, lasts a little bit longer, but we, we pose a series of questions generally on a theme and just see where it goes. See who joins in and see where the conversation takes us. We've kind of changed a little bit. We used to be very prescriptive, didn't we, and have you know, pre-prepared about five or six questions and we're learning. Although this is a fairly new thing for us, we are learning to kind of let go a little bit more and maybe pose one or two slightly bigger, maybe even slightly more contentious questions and just just sort of see what that sort of kicks up. We're really passionate about encouraging people to think differently about how work should feel. Leadership doesn't have to be about dominating and telling um, empathetic listening, safety, understanding how the brain works, growing the talent from the middle of your organisations. These are all things that are part of a human workplace. So the Twitter chat gives us an opportunity to talk about the things that we're passionate about, ask questions that I hope challenge people's thinking and opens up different possibilities about how we lead, how we work together. And we're just really enjoying the conversations and the perspectives and making bigger connections with people who kind of work in our area. Um, You know, people who are thought leaders, influencers. It seems sort of every week we kind of meet someone new and it kind of opens up another avenue of thinking and learning. Yeah, what I really like, and maybe this is, you know, one of the biggest surprises for me that's come from this, is kind of how freeing it is to have to think quickly because of the dynamic of the of, of a Twitter chat and the platform of Twitter itself, you know, with the, the limitation in characters, the fact that you can't edit anything that you put out there, which, uh, you know, throws always throws some interesting uh, things out into the world, doesn't it? But what it does is make you think, particularly about big subjects, you know, so this this week it was all about our great lead, you know, what what is great leadership? Are great leaders born or, you know, raised? Um, you know, some sort of big questions. But what I like is the fact that because you've got to think on your feet, it's not like sort of prepping a LinkedIn article or a blog post where you can kind of mull it over and edit it and really sort of really think and stew on your thinking around it, which, you know, is often just leads to procrastination. Um, Where with the Twitter chat, it's boom, 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 boom. And you just throw stuff out there, you know, obviously trying to trying to always remember to be respectful and kind and, you know, positive in absolutely everything. But it does force that quick thinking, which is really, really interesting. Kudos to you both for doing weekly. We couldn't imagine that. I mean, we've done it for <laughs> no. four years now. Bi-weekly is plenty. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't imagine the weekly commitment we can appreciate because I think we've only, Wendy, I think we've had one other guest that does a Twitter chat uh-huh. and Nicole Garotti, I think. Yeah. We certainly understand the commitment and time. And I think that was one of the things when we first reached out to, to talk to you both is that that was something we saw that, hey, that's great because we don't see it. And I don't think people understand the logistics behind it. It's fun to take part. But when you're running one, 
particularly, like I said, the, the weekly commitment. Kudos to you both. It is quite exhausting. It, yeah. it is. I feel like I've run, like I've been sprinting when it's finished, you know, just trying to keep a thread of who's who's taking part and who to respond to and who's to add and, mm. and all the rest of it. But it, it is really energizing. And I think um, it's, it is, it's very liberating. And I have um, my, my good friend Jules who often takes part. She's often on the phone. So she's chatting to me and like, have you seen what so-and-so said? What do, we, <laughs> what do we think about this? So we're kind of nattering and typing and, it, and it's the funnest, fastest hour of the week. <laughs> we were really fortunate. I guess it started with the chat is that we started bringing in co-hosts and people bringing ideas to bring their questions. We've brought that over to the podcast now and started crowdsourcing questions. And so to that end, Chris Taylor from the Oven Ready HR podcast, his question, if you were alone to be alone on a desert island, what one luxury item would you take along? It can't be a plane. It can't be to get off the island. But if you could take one thing to enjoy while you're there, what would it be? And so we get a twofer. We'll get both of you. Amanda, we'll ask you first. I think I would take my uh, bullet journal and felt it pens because that's a great way of keeping myself occupied and staying sane. And then Simon, how about you? Okay, I might be stretching the rules just a little bit. Okay. But, but I'm going to argue that the one item would be a scuba set. So I could go I could go diving, I could go fishing. I don't think that's <laughs> I don't see that. Uh, being, no, uh, I like it. No, I don't see that. But you're at, you're at, you're on a, uh, you know, on an island. You want to go maybe explore the water side of it a little bit. So I like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda and Simon, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, which is our half hour question connection. What career did you dream of having when you were a child? Amanda, we'll start with you. I wanted to be a dancer. So okay. travel the world in amazing outfits and sort of twirl about. <laughs> and for me, I was the absolute classic, the firefighter. <laughs> Who's one person you've gained your network in the last year that you think more people should know? Simon. Well, we've uh, we had a little think about this before we came on, didn't we? Um, and I think one person that we've got to know is, a, is a, another sort of UK-based HR um, sort of heavyweight in the in this is Perry Timms. I don't know if anybody knows Perry, but uh, Perry Timms is uh, we've chatted him for the first time about six weeks ago, something like that. And he was just one of those people that as soon as you start talking to him, you know, you can tell how experienced, how much expertise he has. But he conveys that with such kindness and generosity that, uh, you know, you just want to keep talking to him. So that's Perry Timms. And mine would be at Chief Workplace, which is Simone Fenton Jarvis. So she is based in the UK. I think she's the youngest fellow of the Institute of Workplace. She is writing a book at the moment. She's a coaching client of mine. She's in her early 30s and she's an absolute firecracker. She really has such great thinking and insight around the human workplace, and she's definitely someone to watch. We touched on on this a little bit um, earlier, but uh, how do you maintain balance, Amanda? I take things off my to-do list. I take mindful breaths. I do mindful washing up. I've got, you you can't see because we're in like um, a podcast, but behind me, got my art, so I 
kind of paint and do things that are just calming and relaxing to give me a bit of balance. And for me, it would be do as much as possible outside. So be outside, you know, ideally with wood smoke in my eyes. Um, (laughs) You know, a bit of wood smoke and being outside um, and the world always seems all right. Now, is that wood smoke from cooking or is that wood smoke from burning a big pile of wood? Uh, Could be either. Cooking. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, cooking preferably. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, burning stuff. I've always been into burning stuff, but that's uh, that's an entirely other type of podcast. <laughs> well, let's get away from that. Uh, yeah. How do you enjoy giving back to the HROD community? And Simon, we'll start with you. I think, and this is something that runs through everything that we do. Um, we don't always get it right, and we can always be thinking about this more. But it's about openness and generosity. So working in the open as much as possible, sharing what we do. You know, we run um, the Leaders in Conversation series, which started roughly this time last year on a bit of a sort of spur of inspiration of Amanda's. And that is a completely free, completely open series of conversations that we do. Um, And also share as much of ourselves, our thinking, our processes and what we do as much as possible. So we're quite we're quite prolific bloggers. We like publishing, you know, material. We've got the Twitter chat that we talked about. So that's that that sense of being in the open and working in the open is so important. And then we've also been running roundtables where we're bringing people together from the HR community to talk about what the human workplace means for them, what best practice is, and so all of that work. Um, we're then looking to publish and again make open. So we're sharing the wisdom from everybody so that we can all make our workplaces a better place to be. Amanda, what is your favourite movie? Oh, goodness me. I have terrible taste in films. So I'm (laughs) going to go for an oldie but a goldie and say I love Blade. So, you know, kind of things with vampires and fighting and just think of something that would appeal to a teenager and basically that's my movie choice i'll probably regress even further um i was born in the early 70s so there is only one answer really to that isn't there and you can probably guess it already but it is yeah of course it's the original star wars trilogy (laughs) it was such a massive Yeah, such a huge part of childhood for, you know, for nearly seven, eight years. It's all we lived and breathed. I'm there with you, my friend. How about the first concert you remember attending, Simon? The very first concert I went to, I was 15 years old, and it was uh, a UK group called the Beautiful South. It was in, in a place called Bridlington, which is a coastal town about two hours' drive from my hometown, me and my best friend got on a bus and travelled for, you know, the hours it seemed to take on the bus um, and hid upstairs in the balcony of this old sort of Victorian ballroom because it all looked a bit scary down on the bottom. Oh, I was 13 and I went to see Echo and the Bunnymen, so uh, the kind of a classic indie. Wow. Yeah. yeah, very much I went to The Cure and Tears for Fears and all that sort of stuff. I loved live music <laughs> what was the last show you binge watched 
the one, the last show we binged watched together was probably Shit's Creek. I, I love that. That was oh, only okay. recently finished. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those things that you had to keep watching. And the quality of every episode was pretty consistent um, throughout, but it just kind of built and built and built um, uh, throughout the series. So yeah, we really enjoyed that. Although I am secretly binge watching. Uh, Discovery Channel's Operation Bigfoot at the moment. Um, <laughs> and I ju- that fascinates me because they're so invested in it and they're so professional, but it's all utter nonsense. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it, I just find it, I find it so compelling that you can create such compelling television out of absolutely nothing at all. Anything that you're watching on your own, Amanda? Anything secretly that you're you're secretly hiding from Simon that you're watching? <laughs> I'm I'm watching the Irregulars at the moment, which is the Sherlock Holmes thing. Oh. Um, My wife is watching that. No, no one else likes yeah. it. Everyone else leaves the room and thinks it's rubbish. But I'm really enjoying it. My wife just started that in the last few days. Yeah, because I'd never heard of it. She said, "Oh, it's based on a graphic novel." Like I didn't know. No Mysterious idea. Serious powers. It's very exciting. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to write that one down. That sounds like it's right up our alley in my house. What is something that each of you do that would surprise you? A hobby or a thing you like to do? I mean, Simon, you already talked about being around wood and fire. Beyond that, something that, that you do that might surprise people? Uh, for me, I would probably talk about photography. Uh, and that is something actually that I've got back into in lockdown. Um, you know, particular photography, particularly nature photography, landscape photography, that kind of subject matter. And being in lockdown as kind of it's been quite an interesting creative challenge photography, you know, photography wise um, to really, you know, stay in our local community. I mean, we do, we're lucky enough to live in the countryside and so you'd think it would be easy, but it's a very kind of developed countryside, big farming community. So there's not many wild spaces. Um, So I've I've been challenging myself to try and find wildness in the local community. So that's been a really interesting little side project of mine. And you've been taking pictures of tiny things. I have been taking pictures of (laughs) tiny things, yes. Yeah, so, so around where we live, uh, there are a lot of uh, what are called dry stone walls. So all of the field boundaries are made of stone walls. Uh, it's a it's a big limestone area, so you know you can't dig it. You can't put a spade in the ground without finding a lump of limestone. Hmm. Um, so you know, over the last sort of four hundred years, all the farmers have built uh, dry stone walls around the field boundaries, and some of them are incredibly old and support whole communities of fungus, mosses, lichen, insects. Oh, sure. And they they just look, um, you know, like their own little worlds. Um, so it's my kind of way of finding the wild. Uh, and I've, I've put them all on Twitter. If anyone wants to have a little look, they're under the hashtag wildfinding. Oh. Uh, and I guess mine would be uh, being a lady, a lady gardener. So I have an allotment which is kind of a 10, 15 minute walk from the house and love nothing better than to kind of stick my gloves on and weed mostly is what I do on the allotment. <laughs> but I find that very relaxing, pulling out the couch grass. 
Amanda and Simon, since this is our um, British Invasion, one of our British Invasion episodes, what do you believe is the biggest misconception people have about the United Kingdom? Amanda. I think having had um, cousins from Australia come, I think a big misconception is that our food is disgusting. <laughs> that, We've that heard that is, twice now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, our food is not disgusting. Uh, it just depends on what you choose to eat. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be mine. <laughs> um, oh, this, this, this is a good question. A tricky question, particularly in current political climate quite hard not to not to dive into politics on this one um but i think for me the biggest misconception is that the united kingdom is a single place and a single culture where in fact despite the fact that we are geographically tiny we have just the most amazing variety of culture and language you know you can travel in you know in an hour in any direction and you know an hour from us is the welsh border where they speak a completely different language um and you know an hour in another direction you've got another completely different culture and a completely different accent um which i think is remarkable and one of our big strengths as we've talked about we have this great opportunity to crowdsource questions because this is a supersized episode with two people we now get two questions Mm -hmm. uh, out of you so our question to each of you if you could ask the next guest of the show any question, what would it be? I think I would like to ask something that we've been asking other people um, over the course of this last year, and it's what does being human at work mean to you? And I think I'd be very interested to know what people are seeing as the biggest workplace trends. They're very serious questions. You see, we've done no frivolity. We've just gone straight for... Human workplace, workplace trends. Yeah. That is quite all right because, yeah. as we always say, we don't have to answer exactly. Them, so we just get to ask, and we we always appreciate that because sometimes they're very challenging, and sometimes we can ask where, where you want on your desert island, but then we can ask on the flip side, what's it like to be a human at the workplace? Amanda and Simon cannot thank you enough for making this time, for doing what you're doing out there, and for having these conversations, for being willing to do a weekly Twitter chat again. Kudos to you because yeah. we understand. <laughs> we understand the pain. Some of our listeners may not be connected with you. They've heard you now and they're going to want to. Best way to get in touch individually with Northern Value creators all across the board. Amanda, we'll start with you. Um, I hang out on Twitter. So I'm Amanda Cookson. Um, at Amanda Cookson on Twitter. Um, so that's a great place. I would start there. Yeah, and uh, me as well. Twitter, Twitter and LinkedIn are our favorite social platforms. And I think there is... An absolutely fantastic HR community on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really great, great. So, yeah, I'd love if people followed me there. My, uh, I'm at Simon N. Cookson. And the chat you said is 1 p.m. British time each Thursday, correct? Yes. That's right. Yes. Thursday, 1 p.m. UK time. We're going to have all that in the show notes. And then, Wendy, for you, what's the best way for listeners to find you out there? Best ways to start on my blog, mydailyjourney.com, daily D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, want to plug our friends over at Human Times. Check that newsletter out. Again, we'll have links in the show notes. 
sign up. Great yeah. quality information accessible to you daily and, and her, certainly hope you'll check them out. They're going to be recommending us, believe it or not, which is kind of cool because <laughs> it's always nice. But for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman and for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Listen and follow where whatever platform you're on, the cool kids call it following now. Who knows yes. why? That's what they're calling it. So follow us wherever it is. Share these episodes. We took a risk, I think, a bit, Wendy, when we decided to go this whole global month. Mm-hmm. But it's been so much fun. And the conversation been, today been really awesome. expands that. International listeners, you are listening to international guests. I think they will tell you it's fairly painless, I'd like to think. <laughs> Please contact us because we'd like to have you take part as well. Amanda and Simon cannot thank you enough for the time. For the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. Network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.